0: Welcome to Women's Hot Topics. Ladies, this show is for you. Find clarity, discernment, and discover who you are in Jesus Christ, all while exploring the hot topics of the day. She's an evangelist, founder, and president of Him for Her Ministries, and she's here to tell it like it is. Your
1: host, Suge Burry. Hi, friends. Suge Burry here with Women's Hot Topics. I am so excited to bring you the topic today but before I do I want to make sure that you know that you can go to him for her H-I-M, number for and see the plethora is that a word plethora of uh, radio show hosts that we have had guests had a lot of fun, a lot of topics but today's is really special to me. Today we're going to be talking about strong, in battle. You're going to ask yourself, well, what kind of battle we got going? Why the humble will prevail. And we are here with the infamous Susie Larson. Susie, I'm so glad you're with us. Thank you very much. You're too
0: kind, Shug. So good to be with you. Thanks for having me today.
1: You know, friends, before you decide to either turn it off or keep it on, I want to give you a little bit of an intro as to what we're going to talk about today. This impacts every single individual. So you definitely need this show. And the fact that you're even here, it means that God probably brought you to it. Um, some of the things we're going to talk about today is how to be strong in battle against the enemy. Is there a spiritual battle or is it just life happening? How do I know the difference between the two? What about the never-ending, long-suffering battle I seem to have all the time in my life? Another thought is trauma, fear versus a God warning to pay attention to. What makes an easy prey, ladies, for the enemy? We're going to talk about that. Also, how and when do we begin to train our young children to become strong in battle? That's really an important point. Uh, Why do we even have battles? How do our emotions and attitudes hinder or help our victory? And how are we empowered to interrupt the enemy's evil plans? And we have this book here. And if, if you're on YouTube with us, I want you to check it out. It's called Strong in Battle. Why the Humble Will Prevail. I read it page for page all the way through. Now I can't wait to do it as a Bible study with my friends. And Susie, thank you again for taking the time to write this book and spend so much time getting into that meat that we all need. Wow, I'm honored and I'm
0: so grateful. Really glad for how it turned out because it feels like a handbook for battle. You know, how to really discern the predictable ploys of the enemy and how to discern the weak areas in our wall where we continue to forget who we are. And so I really hope women feel
1: encouraged and equipped and empowered by the time we're done talking today. You know, if Susie's voice sounds a little bit familiar, we have had her on our show before. Uh, We'll put a link on to the previous show that we did with her on Prevailing. It was a wonderful devotional that takes you all the way through the Bible from beginning to end. Um, And she is such a gifted writer and speaker, and she's phenomenal. And I've heard her speak, and she's hilarious, friends. (laughs) So please look her up if you would. But let me tell you a little bit about Susie Larson. Susie is a national speaker a best-selling author and the host of the daily talk show, Susie Larson Live, heard on the Faith Network Radio. Susie has written 20 books and many articles. She has been a guest on Focus on the Family, the Life Today Show, Family Life Today, as well as many other media outlets. Twice, friends, voted top 10 finalists for the John C. Maxwell Transformation Leadership Award. She is also a veteran of the fitness field. Susie has been married to her dear husband, Kevin, since 1985. And together, they have three wonderful sons and three beautiful daughters-in-law and three beautiful grandchildren. And one adorable pit bull, that's what we have in common, I've got my little blue, and you've got your little Memphis. Susie's passion is to see people everywhere awaken to the value of their soul, the depth of God's love, and the height of their calling in Christ Jesus. My friends, I know you're in the background. Everybody's applauding. Please welcome Susie Larson to (laughs) our show.
0: Bless you, honey. I wish I was on the road with you.
1: I could see those palm trees you're looking at, but thanks for having me. I know I'm looking friends you know I'm on the road interviewing people along the way and we've got palm trees that you can't see I had to shut the shade so you all wouldn't be tempted and jealous when you're in Minnesota in the deep snow but I want to really get right to it if I could Um, let's get right out of the gates with the deep topic and I really think it's important and if I could Susie I'd like to ask you a personal question and a chance for our listeners to get to know you a little bit already Um, you've been face to face with the enemy so have I and when we serve the Lord, attacks go with that territory. So what battles, I'm curious, what battles have you encountered prompting you to decide to write your book, Strong in Battle, Why the Home Will Prevail? Well,
0: you know, some who maybe have heard of me or maybe heard of my story, maybe know a little bit of the backstory, but for those who don't, you really do need to know the context so that you understand the language that I use really in all my books and all of my shows. There is a a contending, there's a little bit of of warrior fighting because I, I, you know, nothing has come easy to me. And I was raised in a large family and um, in a denomination where I knew God was real. I mean, I really, as a child had a sense of God's presence but I really didn't know Jesus was accessible. I just, I didn't understand the gospel, but the gospel wasn't really preached. And, uh, we just had kind of your all American family back then. Um, uh, but when I was about nine years old, some creepy boys from our neighborhood, uh, pinned me down and I encountered a sexual assault and I got up from that experience and didn't tell anybody. And I was so traumatized. I didn't know whose fault that was and very, very confused about you know, my DNA, my identity. Did God make me this way? I mean, it was like something, a canyon of insecurity, self-hatred, fear opened up. And uh, really, I stopped sleeping through the night around that time. And then about a year later, I was coming home from school and was jumped by a different group of boys that were oh, hiding man. out in a the dugout. They were doing drugs or something. And I really know now in my adult mind, they had to have been high on something because they had this crazed look in their eyes. And they just all I heard as I'm walking all by myself, you know, I'm 10 years old, four foot tall, I hear get her and they run out of the dugout, run me down, knock me to the ground and beat me up really bad. And they just were laughing wildly as they punched me me and pulled fistfuls of hair and scratched my face and kicked my stomach. And I'm curled up in a ball crying, screaming, and they're laughing and, and beating me up. And I, I'm just thinking who would do that for sport to a little girl, but they, they were high or on something. But anyway, when they were done with me, they kind of pushed off me, walked away and were laughing. And I got up and I had scratches on my face, a fat lip, snarled hair. And I, that was, so traumatic, traumatic for me. And I heard in my ear and I can't tell you it was audible, but it might as well have been, but I heard I can get to you anytime, anywhere, and God will mm. never stop me. And so at that moment I knew, devil was real so i knew god was real and i knew the devil was real and sugar i often say that you know the devil sees your potential long before you ever do all you need to do is go back to your childhood to the first times that you discerned you're not enough you have something to fear uh, you're not safe um, anything like that because his threat against you is so connected to your threat to him so all that to say you jump ahead i I won't get into too much my backstory but as a young mom um, I was on bed rest for many months with a high risk pregnancy and the doctors let me get up for one day to test the waters. And so I did met my old college roommates. So careful. I was six months along, had three months to go and we walked, I had lunch. It was a fall day and was back on bed rest. And at night, cause mm-hmm. my started to contract again. In two weeks from that outing, my face started to go numb. My arms started to get pins and needles. My vision blurred. My memory started to do funny things. And, uh, unbeknownst to me, I was bit by the deer tick. It latched on, bit me, dropped off. I never saw a bullseye or anything like that. So I had three months to go in this bed rest and I had neurological fireworks going off in my body. And prior to that happening, I literally, you know, because I, I, when I got saved, you know, I knew I was saved, but I didn't know that I was loved. And I think that's the case for a lot of even, you know, seasoned Christians where they go through life really sure of their salvation, not super sure that they're the object of God's affection. So I, like many insecure Christians as a young mom, was on five committees at church. I was earning my way, improving my way. So to go on bed rest was just a nightmare come true because I suddenly became a debt to everybody, to society. You know, And my husband was the mom and the dad, my friends, I used up all my friend favors. They were getting tired of me I was getting tired of me. So I literally was knocking off days on my calendar, you know, five more months till mommy can make your sandwiches, four more months Mm -hmm. till mommy can take you to the park. And so that already was confronting so many of my insecurities that to have that, have these neurological symptoms overlap with this pregnancy was more than I can even tell you that I could, I mean, I couldn't believe it. And I had a woman, a friend who was getting so tired of our crisis, I, and I in hindsight I think she should have left before the grace lifted because she stayed past the grace and was starting to say things that were super hurtful. And one day she was visiting me, and I was I'm like my face is going numb, my tongue is going numb. I'm like how, how can this be happening? And I've got a few months left. And she said, "You know, it's personalities like yours that most often get MS." And I'm not Ooh, sure
1: man.
0: why she said, but she said it with kind of a barb and with kind of a, a an irritated attitude and it terrified me. When she left, I felt like the spirit of fear just filled my living room. So all of that to say, those were my beginning years as a young wife and a mom. Three decades later, I still deal with daily neurological symptoms. I've come really, really far. So that's where the fight has come from for me. There's times where I've had to army crawl, but there was a point as a young mom when I was just, I, I, the short-term memory was going. I felt like I was in a 90-year-old body. I'd come into marriage so passionate and ready to live this faith life. And then everything turned upside down. So I lost all sense of vision, all sense of purpose, and was just like on the floor with my three little boys crawling through the days, hoping I live long enough to see them grow up. And in the middle of that is when a woman from my church called and said, Susie, I've heard all the chatter about you because people were gossiping and others were feeling sorry for me. And 30 years ago, they didn't know a lot about Lyme disease. And it's a crazy, you know, unpredictable disease. Mm -hmm. Anyway, she said, I heard all the chatter. And she said, I wanted to know for myself what's going on with you because I know you to be a woman of God. So I took your case before the Lord. And I said, what are you doing with this woman? And she said, Susie Larson, you listen to me. She said, the Lord showed me a platform that you're going to speak from someday he's building a platform from your pain. So lean in and learn everything you can because you'll have a story to tell. And it was like, I knew it was true. It was like the truth bomb dropped into my spirit. And it's like, even though our our finances were a mess because of the medical debt, my body, I couldn't see a way out of this thing. I had three little boys, so much medical debt. I've lost several of my friends through this crisis, but I knew in my knower, what she said was true. And around that time, it was the Lord just broke through because I was still a fairly new Christian. I didn't have a lot of spiritual foundation and history under my feet, you know, and the Lord said, are you a believer just because you've secured your eternity? Or or do you actually believe this stuff? I mean, like, when are you going to shift your weight onto the promises of God to see if they hold? Every time you turn your back on faith to behold fear, you lose Mm -hmm. sight of my presence. You lose sight of my promises. How about you test me and see if the anchor holds? And that is when I started to shift my weight onto the promises. And I found that they do hold. And that is when I learned, Shug, that the the abundant life Jesus died for is not ours automatically. It doesn't just come to our front doorstep all tied up in a nice bow. Because the preface of that verse is the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I yes, come, he does. That you come that you have life abundantly. So we have to contend for the promises of God. And some of us maybe have walked through things uh, that others haven't. And but everybody, as you said, has battles. Everybody has a target on their back. If you've got Christ in your heart, you've got a target on your back. So the reason I wrote this book is it hopes to, to, to lessen the collateral damage, to be able to get through your battles without doubting who you are and who God is, and to really get more wise to the
1: enemy's schemes. You know, that is uh, such great, wise words. And, you know, God uses our experiences for his glory. And, you know, it reminds me of one of my favorite verses which is Ephesians six. It says six ten says, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. I loved the book. And is there a verse that stands out to you when you're in the middle of these trials that you just pray over and over and over again?
0: Well, that's a great question, and I would say it's a whole chapter, and it's Psalm 18, because the chapter really does illustrate, it's my life script, you know? I don't remember which one of my guests on my radio show said this, but they somebody said, when you have go-to verses or go-to stories or go-to characters in the Bible that you just sort of over-relate to, they said, pay attention to that because that's part of your life script. There is a prophetic word in there and revelatory insight for your life. If you, like I over-relate to to the Samaritan woman and and to Joseph, you know, and to Job (laughs) and to Ruth. And there's a few of them like that that I keep going back to, but Psalm 18 is my life script, but I think it really can and should be for all of us, because it starts out that you cry out to the Lord because the enemy confronted you when you were weakest. And what's so beautiful is your cry reaches his ears and he Mm -hmm. reaches down from on high because the enemy confronted you at a time that where he was too strong for you, but the Lord lifted you up to a place of safety and he became your stability. But then what he does, it's kind of amazing, is you go a little further. He rescued you because he delights in you. But then once you've been rescued from this raging battle, he then starts to train your arms and your hands for battle. He strengthens your arms to bend a bow of bronze. He he helps you to walk on high places, which speaks of spiritual agility. Like in the physical athletic world, when you want agility, you're changing up motion all the time. Quick back, quick right, quick left, you know, because these are anaerobic exercises that require a whole different energy system and different muscle uh, agility. So when you're deking left and right as an athlete, you're actually becoming super fit rather than just doing one kind. It's like cross-training. Well, in the same way in the spiritual realm, to walk on high places like the feet of a deer is to be able to stand on unlevel terrain and still be proficient in battle. And that's why there's times where it feels like the arrows are coming from here and then over there. And it's like the wax on, wax off of Karate Kid where you're learning to Mm -hmm. spar. You're keeping your footing in times of uncertainty and that's how he trains you. So suddenly you're standing on high places and if you follow the passage all the way to the end, you're chasing the enemy down and the Lord puts the enemy under your feet. So you go from victim to victor. I go back to that. If you could see it in my Bible, it's been underlined and noted so many times, but it's a promise to me and it, and he's fulfilled it. And he continues to do that again and again.
1: What a wonderful illustration. I just love that analogy. And you guys go to our YouTube page. You can kind of see what she's doing with her hands and she's <laughs> you know, bobbin and weaving, you know, we don't know which way the arrows are going to go, but we need to be prepared and ready. And God will do that for us. Um, often people question, Susie, is this a spiritual battle or is this just bum luck life happening? What would you say to them?
0: Well, uh, you know, again, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and he's had a long time. He's had your whole life to study you. And I used to joke, I don't see a demon behind every bush. I see two, but that's not true. I just think it's funny. But anyway, <laughs> but the truth of the matter is we live in a fallen world. We can be our own worst enemy, but I believe the enemy leverages all of it because he's looking for our low moments. He's looking for our vulnerable moments. the, the world, The word says he prowls around. Like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. And so I think it's just super important. The thing is, God doesn't want us walking on eggshells. He also doesn't want us bracing for impact. And I think that can happen. If you go from one battle to the next, you start living bracing for impact. And that's not a safe posture. God wants us to live on the offense. And, uh, you know, as I had to walk through, uh, some just healing time after this recent. I had a pretty massive relapse seven years ago, that culminated two years ago that I'm still recovering from. So for five six years it was it was pretty rough again, and I had to I seek out a counselor friend uh, to sort through some of that. I got some prayer people around me to pray for some inner healing, just because it was traumatic for me, you know? And one of my friends said the best thing to me, and this is coming in my next book, but she said, Susie, unless your default thought process about God is only goodness and mercy follow you, if that's not your default instinctive thought around the Lord, when you think of him, then she says something in you needs healing and something in your thinking is out of alignment And I feel like that's a great inventory for us based on how your battles impacted you. If you just shrug them off all the time as, oh, that's how life goes, you're going to get cynical. You're going to lower your expectations of God. But if you start to go, you know what, I'm a fierce enemy, but I have an even more powerful God. And I'm going to spend my time even in battle cultivating a heart that sees the goodness of God so that my default instinctive thoughts around God is that he's got goodness up his sleeve. He's got goodness for me, whatever he allows, he redeems, you know, the enemy traumatized it's the Lord who heals. When you start to see you've got a very real war going on in your life, but you know, it's not an equal fight. You will start to live even in the middle of battle with a holy expectancy. And I think that's extremely important. Otherwise you're just going to keep lowering your theological bar to match your experience. And suddenly you've reduced God to something that doesn't resemble who he really
1: is. You know, that's, um, I love that inventory that you talked about. And I think that really is um, helpful to people who often deal with long-term suffering, long-term illness, depression, you know, why God, why me? Why am I in this? How can I survive this? And you just brought the light into that whole topic. I love it. So listen up ladies to my next question because I think it's really important. Uh, what makes us a prey for the enemy? Well, I love to go to
0: James 4, 7. It says, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And I often hear people when they're under attack, someone will say, well, just resist the devil. He has to flee. But that's not accurate because submit submit to God comes first. And that's a military term, and it means get back in rank. And Watchman Nee once wrote that you can't have authority unless you're under authority. And so you think about submit to God or get back in rank, how do you get out of rank? Well, attitudes that are uh, the conflict with God's will and his ways. So maybe usurping authority, uh, harboring a grudge, being bitter, being jealous, uh, living a duplicit life where you say one thing and do another. All of those things put you out of rank and the enemy is a legalist. If you step out of your God-given boundaries and he has legal access, he will take it. Every single time he's hoping upon hope that you will forget who you are and forget who God is and you'll justify your attitudes and your deeds because you're suffering, you know, and the thing is, we bend towards self-indulgence when life is hard. But as I wrote in the book, self-indulgence, you know, that's motivated for the wrong reasons will always weaken us. There's always a time for self-restraint. And I'm not talking legalism, but I'm saying, I think we know the difference between a holy celebration where you make break out the feast, celebrate what God has done, and you privately indulge for self-comfort. That's what weakens you. So I would say we're easy prey when we get out of rank. But what's so amazing, if you look at the rest of that verse is, you know, when you're under attack... My first line of defense always is search me, God, know my heart, test me, know my anxious thoughts. That's Psalm 139. See if there's any offensive way in me, because I want to know, did I give the enemy license to do this? Now, it's really important to hear me say, I'm not saying if you're going through trials or you're in a battle, it's your fault, but I'm saying it's wisdom and humility to to check your heart first, because even Paul said, my conscience is clear, but that doesn't even mean I'm innocent. I'm leaving it up to the Lord. So I'm just saying there's things we don't always see, and we do have a high capacity to self-justify when we're hurting. And so to ask God, have I given the enemy legal right in any way? And as my friend says, if he shows you something, repent and then roar. And if he doesn't show you anything, just roar, (laughs) because once you submit to God, Then you resist the devil and he will flee. And how that translates is exactly how it reads. He's running for his life. And it also translates, he's looking for a new safe place to dwell because he no longer finds it in you. And Shug, I think we put up with way too much from the enemy. We take the battering, we let him lie to us and we just sort of let him in our house and we wonder why we're exhausted. But when you're exhausted from battle and from being harassed and taunted, you know what also happens? You become passive in your faith. So you need a deep sense of rest and restoration that you only get from Jesus, which leads you then to this purposeful faith. So when you submit to God, And you resist the devil. He has to flee. And if you were to peel the sky back to look into the spiritual realm, you would see some Christians running for their lives because he's roaring and intimidating them, and they don't know what their spiritual rights are. And then you'd see other Christians standing, putting the flag in the ground and saying, out. And stay out. You can't have my family. You cannot have my community. I know who I am. You messed with the wrong girl. And I think it's just that's again one of the huge reasons I wrote this book is you gotta know who you are and who God is. And you gotta know where you, where the enemy ends and you begin. And so if if the Lord's not showing you anything, then you then maybe he's anticipating a breakthrough. Maybe he's threatened by your potential. But that's when you don't go this alone, you get other people with you and say, I am under attack. Will you join me? Let's stand in battle. Because you got to know, in any way the enemy comes against you, God has a promise to bless you and propel you forward in your walk of faith.
1: You know, you brought up a good point, and uh, regarding prayer, you know, asking people to pray—how does prayer take a, a role in all of this attack?
0: You know, it's, I think again, he tries to get us alone. And if you think at how this went in the last few years, there's so much about how this la- these last few years went for us all over the world. Uh, in the enemy used two weapons and they're his favorites, fear and isolation. He weaponized mm-hmm. fear to such a degree. I think when we see Jesus face to face, we're going to be blown away at how fear was weaponized against us. And then isolation to get us to not only fear, but fear each other and to isolate because when well, he can pick us off when we're separated. And I was charging people constantly on my show saying, if you can't be six feet away, if that's not comfortable, get on a zoom call with five, six, seven other, people and start agreeing together around the promises of God, re-mobilize, re-engage. And I would even say, you know, as Kevin, and I travel around and I speak at events. So many pastors are saying, you know, there are new people coming to church, but old people aren't, not old, old, but seasoned believers aren't coming back so and i've heard from some of these seasoned believers who've admitted an apathy set in where it just became easier to disengage and there's a lull uh, you know a, a lethargy that has sort of settled in after covid and i think we've got to get our game back we got to get our roar back and we've got to re-engage because there's power for the taking there's promises with our name on it and when two or three gather and agree in his name, mountains move. I'm telling you what, demons flee. We are so much better together. And a number of my guests have said, there is no way you can walk out the fullness of your potential in isolation. You need your people. You've got Mm -hmm. to have a community around you.
1: You know, another verse that I really enjoy is uh, in scripture says, do not give up meeting together as others are in the habit of doing and i think the <laughs> that was written for this time amen uh, and i agree wholeheartedly there's nothing like getting together with the body of christ and 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 other believers and other friends and praying together and i have seen god move mountains from the power of prayer, friends. And you might be thinking, oh, I'm not very good at praying or it doesn't work for me or I never see answers to prayer. Oh, yeah, girl, I got to tell you, you got to be praying because that's where the power is. The power is in God's word and the power is in praying. And then all the more when you're praying together. I just I got to just
0: if I could interject this, you know, uh, the Lord last Lenten season a year ago, I was at a pretty low point with the health struggle. And Lord mobilized this group of women to march with me. And they're like, we're going to pray with you every week till you're symptom-free, till you're fully healed. And they're not letting go. And we meet on Zoom every Wednesday morning. And they are praying for me, but one of them she's mobilized. Just, I can't even tell you how many prayer movements and prayer groups. I think she currently has about 10 prayer groups going right now. Oh, That's wow. what she does full time. And she's amazing. But she talked about a gal who prayed for, I want to say 10 years for a family broken relationship. But when she gathered to get on her own, she prayed, but when she gathered together with this group of women and had a 40 day prayer focus on, zeroing in on that, where they all agreed on that breakthrough in 40 days, it happened. She said, wow. we saw a breakthrough happen in 40 days together. What I didn't say happen in a decade of praying alone. And so what you're saying is right. And, and I want to just say this carefully, but friendships and, and your people are changing people. There's so many drifts that have happened, that some of you, your friends that you've had forever, I'm not saying ditch your friends, but right now they're not as on fire maybe as you are. Ask the Lord to show you your people. And I'm not, again, saying ditch your friends, but find your prayer people. Find your people who are going after it with God and then reach out and just say, hey, can we hop on a Zoom call for a half hour and agree in prayer on each of our things? Like one of the things we do at the end of my prayer time with my health is we go around for a husband. So I will pray for my husband, Kevin. Well, Then the next friend will agree and pray for kevin and then pray for her husband then the next friend will agree and then pray for her husband we get more done in that short amount of time through our agreement than you can imagine and we're seeing continual breakthroughs so i cannot stress this enough i i see it like a power grid and i just have a sense that some of you need permission to reach outside your circle to find your prayer people, because there has been so much drift, so much apathy. Please don't stay stuck. If you feel that flicker and the hunger in you, it's an invitation from God himself to participate in some necessary miracles. And he's the same yesterday, today and forever. He is on the move. So move with him. I I, I
1: challenge you to do that. You know, I love that you said, ask God to show me my people And, you know, you don't have because you don't ask friends. So once you ask, keep your eyes open. You know, it it doesn't necessarily have to be the pizza man who's going to come knocking on your door, girls. (laughs) You need to keep your eyes open and see maybe, oh, this woman's a prayer warrior. Maybe this should be somebody that I should be connecting with. And God will introduce you to those people that you're going to need in your life. So powerful, so important, especially when you have children, when you're a mama. And so I'm going to just ask this next question that blends right in with that. How young can I start to prepare my kids to be strong in battle? And how do I start? Mm, That's a great question.
0: I would say I have an older book called Growing Grateful Kids, uh, teaching them to appreciate an extraordinary God in an ordinary world. I think that's the subtitle. Uh, but there's a lot in there about cultivating compassion, cultivating conviction. But I think instead of uh, you know overemphasizing the enemy when they're young, overemphasize their identity in Christ, overemphasize the strength of God. And when they go through hard times, find a promise and pray it over them. But my boys, when they were going out the door, I would put my hand on their head or their shoulder and I'd say, Lord God, I thank you that they are mighty in God. I thank you that they know who they are, even if they didn't know. And then I would throw in there, thank you that they love to read the Bible and love to read books. And they'd look up at me and I'm like, someday, (laughs) someday, but I would just, I would just speak the word of God over them to say, thank you. And even when they'd mess up, we would grab them by the shoulders and say, you are too important to be making decisions like that. So even in discipline, they would rise up a little bit more, but I would go after their God-given identity, not identity because they perform well, or they're great athletically, but because of of Christ, they bear the image of God. And I think if you want to, you know, because that's what the enemy goes after is the goodness of God and the value of your soul to God. And so if we can, you know, pound those things in and sow major seeds when they're young, They'll be really ready and equipped to to understand the language of battle as they get a little older.
1: And I understand, too, if some of you are new to the Bible or new to God or you just surrendered your life to him and now your kids are teens and you're wondering, is it too late to start to do this? Uh, What words of advice would you give them?
0: You know, I would read with them Ephesians. That's probably one of my favorite books. Well, I mean, I love them all, but Ephesians I love for two reasons because it emphasizes the love of God and it emphasizes the warfare, the weapons of our warfare, which both of those things, if you're a teenager, you need them. In Ephesians, it says, to know this love is to be filled with the fullness of God. And to me, that is such a reminder. It's not how high you can jump. It's said, he stooped down to make you great. Love came mm-hmm. down and to focus on this love, the love that he has for you is to be filled with the fullness because teens are trying to find fullness in everything else, but to know God's love, how personal it is for them is to be filled with the fullness of God. And then it talks about that God is able to do above and exceedingly beyond all you could ever dare to ask or imagine. And when my boys were teens, one of my mentors, we were talking about discipline. One of them was going to lose the keys to the car for whatever reason, and she said, stay Stay true with your consistent. Stay consistent with your disciplines, but they're going to respond much more to vision than discipline. But mm-hmm. by the time their teens cast vision for their life of what is possible, and one of our boys was a bit of a strong-willed child when he was little. And when he graduated from high school, he said, Mom, Dad, I, I know I gave you a run for your money when I was young, but you never made me feel like a problem child. You always made me feel like nothing would be impossible if I was humble enough to submit to God's will, God's way. And I really do believe that's true now. And so I just think that you know these teens, especially what they're dealing with today, if they could know his love, if they could catch a vision for what is possible, and then appropriately teach them about the weapons of warfare, that your shoes of peace are the prince of peace. You're stepping into the fullness of of Jesus, when you're stepping into the warfare, the the uh, your weapons of your warfare, the truth is the truth that sets us free. He's the truth, not my truth, your truth. He's the truth the breastplate of righteousness. You're stepping into identity. That's been won for you, period. There's a period at the end of that sentence. That's not a for grabs anymore. Helmet of salvation is your eternity is secure and you have the mind of Christ. So teaching your kids, start to ask God, help me see with spiritual eyes so I can see what's really going on here. Your shield of faith that you have the power to block every arrow fired at you. And there are arrows fired at you, discern what they look like, what they feel like, and start to say, no, And then your sword of the spirit, your weapon of offense, where you start to intercede for your friends. When you start to cast a
1: vision, they'll start to catch it. They will. You know, I love that vision, cast a vision and friends. You can cast a vision for your own life too. Mm -hmm. You know, close your eyes, talk to God. That's all it is. Just talking to God is what prayer is. And just like you and I can have a normal conversation, have that with God, spend time with him. Um, Before the show, I was praying and, and I just said, I love you, God. I miss it when, when I don't pray often enough, and uh, and it's it's just a relationship. It's it's I just wish I could just take from what I know in my head and give it to you, ladies, because I love you so much. But it's a relationship with God, just the same way that you might have a relationship with someone else. Um, And I think it's so utterly important that we do surrender and you talk about being humble and will, uh, why the humble prevail. And I loved in your book on page 63, and I will not ask you word for word what you wrote on that page, but, you know, I deal with prisoners and we work uh, mentoring women leaving prison uh, six months before they leave and up to two years post-release across the country and The thing that really touches my heart is when I hear women, just like the illustration you gave, like you said, the prisoner gripping the bedsheets to his forehead, crying out for mercy. God just wants to receive us. He's waiting for us to do that. And I think that is just such a beautiful illustration. He's waiting for us to let go of that steering wheel life and give our life to him. Um, and you've yeah. just said that so well in your book. And I do remember, remember that God is really, going to work in one way, none of us imagined, in yeah. and through each one of us that surrender our lives to Him. Mm-hmm. Um, you posed a great question, and if God is going to do what He's going to do, and this—these were your words in the book—why doesn't it matter whether or not we're wholly devoted to Him?
0: Mm. You know, there's there's a lot of debate around free will and the sovereignty of God. And I don't need to jump into those waters as I'm not a scholar. <laughs> I'm someone who loves God, who loves his word. so these are just my own thoughts. But he will ultimately have his way. He will ultimately fulfill his will on the earth. But, you know, his will is not human trafficking. His will is not a trash life. And I've heard people talk about the sovereignty of God in such a way that God is so sovereign that you can't mess up your life. And I wholeheartedly disagree. Yes, you can mess up with your life. You can mess your life up and there are consequences. And I'm not saying that God can't redeem it, but there's so much collateral damage With that mindset, as you know, we've known folks, too, that have, you know, trashed their lives and and left their kids in the wake of their choices. Yes, you can. So your choices do matter. And whether you're rejecting Christ or accepting Christ, there is a day of account coming for both parties. Those who have rejected Christ will go before the great white throne of judgment. Their debt will be called in. All the sin is like debt piled high, and there will be a day of account. For those of us in Christ Jesus, He's paid for our sin, but we're going to face Him someday and give an account for our lives. What did we do with our time, treasure, and talents? Our faith matters to Him. When we give generously to the poor, when we help the least of these, we're shouting to a world in need, this is what God is like. So to be a spoiled child and say, well, God's going to do what He does, so I'm going to do what I do, it does not... not. a heart that reveres God, and it's not a heart that's stewarding your life. So there's this apathy that's in the body of Christ where people shrug their shoulders and they're thinking too little of God. Then there's this passivity where people think too little of themselves. And either way, they're they're falling way short of the best of what God has for them. Are they still loved? Yes. Is their identity still secure? Yes. Why? Because identity and eternity our Jesus work on the cross and he finished. It's finished. If you're in Christ, you're absolutely valuable. You're absolutely secure. However, your life is an offering to God and your stewardship matters because it blesses his heart and it blesses this world. So what you do with your time treasure talents matters immensely. Whether you say no to your flesh and yes to God, whether you choose to be rude to your server or leave her an extra big tip all of these things ripple into eternity. And I think if we could see what God rewards, because there are rewards. I mean, he He rewards those who earnestly seek him. He rewards those who persevere. He rewards those who so generously, who forgive when it doesn't suit them. I think in the briefest second, when you see Jesus and you see what he rewards, you're going to wish that you lived with eternity in mind, and and I and I don't know that there's I don't think there'll be regret, but I think there's going to be a moment of sobriety because Scripture talks about that day of account when we meet Him, that there'll be some who are saved, but they're like they're barely saved. Their work will go on the altar, the flames will burn it up because they basically live like a practical atheist. So they trusted Him, and they have saving faith. But all their work burned up in the flames and they came through as one barely escaping the flames. That is in scripture. That to me is super sobering, which means there's going to be a day of sobriety for some when they face God. But there's others who are going to be so overwhelmed going, what? When I gave a cup of cold water, what? You wrote it down? What? You know, when I forgave my neighbor and brought her a pie, what? You wrote that down? What? And when we start to see what God rewards, we're going to want to live so abundantly and lavishly for him because he's good and he wants us to represent his beautiful heart to a hurting world. So that's why it matters. And it matters very much.
1: Ladies, I really want you to get a hold of this book and the first uh, handful of women. I'm not going to limit it. Who decide to get a hold of us at himforher.org. I'm going to send you this book for free, strong in battle. Why the humble will prevail? I promise you, you will be blessed. And you know, we talk about how the enemy attacks us. We talk about, you know, how to stand up against the enemy. I got to tell you from personal experience, friends, I have seen God's mighty power working in and through me because I trusted and surrendered and gave him my life. Friends, I want that for you as well. More than anything, I want that for you as well. I want you to live a victorious life. I want you to be fierce, as Susie says, and I want you to stand up and know who you are in Jesus Christ and how you are secure. Um, you said at the end of your book, "I am secure, I am loved. I am healing. I am called, I am empowered. And so, friends, I want you to go deep. I want you to get this book. I want you to dig into God's word. I want you to pray. And I want you to fear not because you are on the winning side. And that's words from Susie in her book. Um, do you mind praying us out, Susie? I'd be
0: honored. Well, Father in heaven, I thank you for my friend watching or listening today. And I pray you pour out your spirit in a fresh new way. God, I ask you to heal her deep wounds and her hurts, God that you'd restore her from the trauma and the disappointments that she's endured that maybe nobody else fully understands except you do. You understand fully. Would you breathe fresh life into her soul and fresh wind into her sails? I pray you put a fresh expectancy in her heart and a fresh knowledge that you really are who you say you are. You're good. Your promises are true and you'll always make a way for her. I pray that there would be a new vision on the horizon, that she would get a sense of her next place of promise and that she would run and not get weary and walk and not faint because you are the one empowering her with new strength because she's trusting you. Lord, for those who are waiting and waiting long for the breakthrough, would you bring the breakthrough? Would you finally bring the breakthrough? Change the season and bring healing. We thank you, God. That's who you are. That's what you do. And you invited us to pray. So we're going to keep praying until we see you face to face. We love you, Lord. We thank you for this time in Jesus name.
1: Amen. Mm. Speak it, sister. Hallelujah. I just feel like we've been to church girls. Don't you agree? (laughs) It just is wonderful. Susie Larson, you have really blessed us today, not only with your book, but with the words of wisdom, your illustrations. I hope and pray you come back again when your new book comes out and you've been such a blessing to us. Wow, always an honor to join you, Shug. Thanks for having me. And how can we be praying for you, Susie?
0: You know, completed healing. Um, I God has brought me so far, uh, but I, I, I believe that I'm going to see full healing in the land of the living. That's what I'm leaning into, and uh, and just the the supernatural grace to to navigate all that's in front of me in the culture that we find ourselves. So, thank you.
1: Thank you. Thank you very much.